1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart, where the doctor is always in. Dr. Jimmy's not in studio this morning, but after the news, he'll join us via Skype to answer your medical questions. He's a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and he's ready to answer your medical questions. So call us today at one eight seven seven. 672-7464 That's one mpb ring You can always send an email to the show as well. Send it to Remedy at mpbonline.org This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.
3: Good morning to everybody. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And coming to you uh, off-site, but live this morning. So we are ready to answer any of your health care questions right here on Southern Remedy. So if you've got any kind of question about uh, the health of yourself, maybe it's some medication that you've been given, you don't know what to think about it, is this something that's going to help me? Or is it a new symptom that you've been having? We'll take all those questions today, no matter what the age of the individual. You can reach us live this morning at 1877MPB Ring. That's 18776727464. Or you can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. So I'm actually uh, at the beach right now. I uh, took a little bit of time to call in. So um, there's some uh, questions, though, always on vacations about different things that you hear. One of the ones that we hear all the time going to the beach, particularly the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, or, the, uh, or the surrounding states, is is the water safe? Am I going to be okay if I go, in, go into the water, particularly if I have a little abrasion or cut? I actually got a couple of texts about this yesterday. And for the most part, you're going to be safe if you don't have any chronic health care problems. So those can be things as simple as diabetes or certainly a lot of people who have diabetes. Um, But if you have any kind of weakened immune system, there are bacteria in the water. There's sort of a lower level of those. Some of them are sort of bad actors and do more damage the, the flesh-eating bacteria that you hear about in the Gulf, though, is something called Vibrio. Uh, the actual name is Vibrio vulnificus. And Vibrio is a bacteria that uh, it can cause problems with direct skin infections. If you have an open wound and you go out in the water, uh, there are higher concentrations at different times of the year. Most of the water quality surveys are going to put out signs and notifications if you know, a beach has, has higher numbers of that. But if you do have a health issue like diabetes or a weakened immune system from something else, maybe you're being treated for cancer, you're just trying to get away from the beach uh, to the beach to enjoy yourself, whatever the reason, if you do have one of those health care conditions, just ask your physician about it. Hey, is it safe for me to go in? Uh, and they're going to give you some good advice about that. And as far as an open wound, what do you do? You cover it up. I mean, putting a Band-Aid on there, uh, particularly now, if it's a small cut, you can use those waterproof Band-Aids that really can protect it a good bit. Take those off after you're out of the water, wash it down really good with soap and water, put another Band-Aid on it, maybe with some antibiotic ointment. But that's one of the things that you can do to try to prevent that um, at the beach. Certainly, one of the biggest things is sun damage um, and dehydration that goes along with that. It's hot out in the summer. A lot of people aren't used to that. Uh, A lot of people are drinking other things. So if you're drinking alcohol while at the beach, you want to watch out for that. Make sure you pace yourself. Make sure you drink plenty of uh, water with that. Uh, And take some breaks. And that can be, you know, for young kids, too. Um, Don't forget that the younger they are, the smaller that your kids are, the more chances they may have of getting dehydrated quicker. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy uh, coming to you live from the beach today, uh, but here to answer any of your healthcare questions. Hey, give us a call if you've got a question about something uh, that's been on your mind about your healthcare or someone else's. You can reach us this morning by calling 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. We've got a couple of uh, things in the news in, um, in some research. One is from a study that was conducted among uh, older individuals, about a little over 200 older individuals, in the Harvard Aging Brain Study. So, this was a study that looked at individuals from age 63 to 89, and everybody that was in the study was chosen, uh, you know, obviously for age, but also at the beginning of the study, they showed no problems with their memory, with their cognitive effects. They could, you know, think through different situations. And they followed these uh, individuals a little over 200 for three years. And what they wanted to do is really see if there were any factors that contributed to them not having any cognitive decline over time. So what kind of things could they tease out? This is very interesting, some of the, uh, some of the research uh, uh, results Uh, that were done. And one big thing that sort of came out of this, and it's something that we've we've had some knowledge of this in the medical literature and and in studies, but social engagement seemed to go along with cognitive function. In other words, those individuals who had uh, deep relationships with other people, either a spouse or friends uh, that they hung out with, spent time with, these were the individuals in those older age groups that didn't have as much cognitive decline over time so it seems to be a an important factor if you've got you know if you've got somebody that's older uh, isolation tends to accelerate sort of your brain function over time and our brains are really meant to interact with other people even if you're an introvert I'm a big extrovert so that's that's not everybody but um, interesting though so social interactions are very very important so that might be something as you plan maybe you're in that um, in that age range where you're planning for retirement that you might want to look into. Diabetes, we mentioned earlier, um, is certainly a huge uh, problem in the South. Uh, we have a large number of individuals who, um, who are affected by diabetes or at risk for diabetes. If you have a lot of diabetes in your family, if you're overweight, um, all these things can be risk factors. There's a study at Ohio State that Really looked at how can you prevent uh, developing diabetes, particularly if you're one of these higher risk groups. So, is there something that you can do beforehand? Certainly, medications have been looked at. Metformin or Glucophage has been used for decades to treat um, diabetes, but also in some situations, depending on a physician's sort of judgment, they can use it to um, to prevent diabetes or help prevent diabetes. To but if you're at one of those individuals that have uh, an increased risk of this, um, then there's some things that you can do. This was in the Journal of Clinical Investigation Insight and uh, out of Ohio State. And what they really found is that a low-carb diet, uh, so low carbohydrates, not a whole lot of processed foods, those things can help reduce your risk of developing diabetes. But here's the interesting part. Even if you don't lose weight. So if you change what you eat, but you don't lose weight, it could still decrease your risk of that. Now, most people, you know, if they're, if they're changing their diet, they may want to lose some weight. But uh, that's it's very interesting. And some people would say, well, well, what is a low-carb diet? So by this study, the way they defined it, a low-carb diet had about 6% of the total calories from carbohydrates and about 74% from fat. The moderate group that they looked at had 32% from carbs and 48% from fat. And the high-carb diet had about 57% carbs and 23% fat. So if you're thinking about doing something like that, it might be something that you can discuss with your healthcare provider and say, hey, can I do this to help prevent? Uh, I heard about it on Southern Remedy, a study out of Ohio State, and see if you can do that. You can just try it out on your own and – but I would probably, particularly if you have other health conditions, you might want to check with your physician about that. So something that you can do for diabetes, the, uh, physical activity is a huge one. Uh, it's such a great modulator, great treatment for um, actually having diabetes, but also a way that you can prevent that as well. This is Southern Remedy. This morning we are live and ready to take your calls. You can reach us this morning by calling one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We talk an awful lot about sleep and its impact on our health. And uh, while things like sleep apnea are well known to impact it, um, you know a lot of people with weight loss problems have poor sleep. So we've looked at different studies that can uh, sort of tease these out. There's a study from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases that looked at the amount of sleep in obese people and found that you know you most adults need at least seven hours of interrupted sleep per night to feel rested. If you get less than that, you're not going to really, feel good. But even beyond that, you need that sleep. And it can be certainly it can be uh, the amount of sleep, but it's also the quality of sleep that you're getting uh, that may be an issue to prevent you from losing weight. So uh, that's something that you really need to work on sleep environment, uh, trying to make sure that you get uh, the best quality sleep that you can. Uh, might help you to lose weight if uh, you know if you're if you're trying to do that. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, and plenty of times to answer your calls. Just sort of going through some things that are in the news. Uh, we're going to take a short break after this. We, when we come back, we're gonna. Uh, you can reach us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy.
3: This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, broadcasting uh, partly from the studio and I'm actually at the beach right now uh, enjoying some great weather down here on our Gulf Coast beaches. I know a lot of people from Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, all over really come and uh, enjoy the great resources that we have at our beaches uh, on the Gulf Coast. But I am here with you live so you can call in with any kind of questions that you have about the health of yourself or somebody in your family or maybe it's a neighbor that you're interested in knowing what's going on. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email us, and from time to time, we do read those email questions back and try to answer those so that everybody can, uh, can participate in those, uh, in knowing what those questions are and what the answers are to them. You can reach us uh, by email by emailing remedy at mpbonline.org. So, Kevin, I think you have a question about the beach. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, I love going to the beach. I'm going down there in a couple of weeks, and I always try to do a good job of sunscreen and staying under the beach umbrella and, and you know, wear clothing and that kind of thing. Uh, but on right. the rare occasions where someone might stay out in the sun too long and get a sunburn, what are your recommendations for the best way to treat a sunburn are?
3: Yeah, that's a common question, you know, from sun damage. If you have experienced that and you've already got the sunburn, uh, you want to try to take care of that skin. Basically, the top layer of that skin's been, uh, it's an actual uh, thermal burn to it. So you've removed those top layers of the skin and damaged it down to a level that it can't hold in water. So that's why you feel, you know, you typically feel, uh, it feels, of course, raw, but it also feels very dry. And you can a lot of the things that you can put on there are pretty good at at, uh, you know, at least making it feel better. So a lot of the aloe vera products, those are fine to put on there. You don't want to put things that have a lot of oils on after that. That's the, the thing that I see the most is if you're going back out, certainly put sunblock back on where you have that burn. But you may want to give it a break. Maybe put the, you know, as Kevin said, put, the, put your shirt on uh, that sort of gives you that SPF protection. But any of the over-the-counter products, particularly if they have al- aloe on there, I know a lot of people have other things that they do. Uh, I've heard people use things like butter. While that might be, you know, they might think it's a good idea, it's probably not. And you can actually get sort of a chemical burn on top of that, uh, thermal burn, if, you, uh, if you're doing that. So be a little careful with those kinds of things. When you take a shower, too, or a bath, it certainly helps to— you know, not get that water too hot because you can actually do more damage to the skin um, just by the temperature of the water. Uh, use a mild soap on it, uh, and then lather up later with uh, with uh, what we call an emollient. Some of the lotions are fine that you use for other things. Actually, it's it, we almost treat it if for severe sunburns like a a burn that happened with with uh, you know from water. Um, uh, so you want to you know you want to really. If it's extensive burn to you or to a certain area, uh, you might have to use something like uh, Silvadine, which is a prescription medication. But the biggest thing is you can put some of those aloe vera products on there and it should be fine. Um, but again, stay away from some of those other things. Uh, if somebody says, hey, put salt on it, that's probably not something to do or something like that. But uh, keeping it covered up and, uh, and then wearing sunblock on top of it is certainly fine. This is Southern Remedy this morning with Dr. Jimmy with you, and uh, we can take your calls. Call in with a question that you have about uh, what's going on with your health. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Speaking of risk reduction with certain things, um, people always ask you know what well, how can I reduce my risk of cardiovascular disease? Cardiovascular disease being heart attack, stroke are the two main things that we think about uh, peripheral vascular disease a lot of people are affected by that too, so we know that it's it 's been linked to weight in the past, um, so the more that you weigh the more the risk you have but A lot of people have looked at the individual, um, the distributions of that. So where do you store body fat? You know, everybody has a little bit different way that their body stores fat and the distribution of that fat throughout their body. Some people store it, uh, you know, in their hips. Some people store it in their uh, lower or upper legs uh, and others around their waist. So there have been a lot of animal studies uh, to try and tease this out, about what is the, um, you know, is there a a risk with certain distributions. And there was a study that looked mainly in women over the age of 50. This was in a European uh, heart journal, a study of a large number of women, 161,000 aged 50 to 79, to see if the BMI, the body mass index, or the fat distribution was associated with the cardiovascular risk. So large number of participants in this. And all of these participants had previously enrolled in a study called the Women's Health Initiative way back in 93, uh, between 93 and 98. Uh, so they did see a pattern here. So women with the highest percentage of fat stored around their middles, so anything from your waist uh, really up to your chest, that, uh, uh, and the lowest percentage of fat around their legs, so sort of the the uh, classic apple-shaped body type, they had the highest risk of cardiovascular disease. So, you know, and that's something that we've sort of known a little bit, um, that 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 distribution of fat may be a little bit different risk and may be useful to, you know, be a little bit more intense with with that higher risk group as far as targeting uh, things to do to try to decrease that. All right, I think we have a caller on the line. We'll go to them now.
2: That's right, uh, Dr. Jimmy. We've got uh, Edward, who's called in from Jackson.
3: All right, Edward. Good morning. Yes, sir. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for calling.
4: Listen, man, uh, I grew up in New York City, and when I went to first grade, above the backboard, they had the four food groups. You know, you had your meat and vegetables and uh, meat and and, and milk and bread and everything. And all through the education system, uh, they stressed eating properly. Now, right. the, edu- the I've, I've been in the classroom down here. I don't know what they do, but with all the people that have diabetes, uh, I would think that they would want to educate them on a healthy diet and uh, not have a bunch of junk in the, in the schools and uh, educate them. My mother, my mother-in-law, died of diabetes, so I saw the situation firsthand. Now, uh, uh, one comment I have, I figured out that the teachers with the pay raise they got less than 70 cents an hour and that's a joke i mean these people go my brother was going to be a teacher but he quit and uh you can't blame them because you don't have any help from the the, the politicians here all they want to do is sell this stuff now they got the thing with the the veggie burgers because the meat guys are crying and it, it, it's just bounced to uh, uh all it is is about the money and selling pizzas on tv and and uh, watching the hamburgers with the fat sizzling and and people are just eating the stuff and the, if if they're not educated properly from when they're growing up nothing's going to change it's only going to get worse now, yeah edward uh, the- edward
3: you, you bring up some great points um particularly about you know dietary habits and you're right uh, what we should say is prevention of all these problems, not just diabetes, but others too, they, they start extremely early. And, you know, a lot of people will think, well, you know, my child can eat what they want when they get older, maybe they can eat better. We actually know that you can change, uh, you know, the plaque that builds up in blood vessels actually uh, starts getting laid down in the first decade of life. So Edward's right that, you know, the classic uh, healthy diet uh, that, that kids need needs to be uh, taught and it also needs to be demonstrated and they need to get used to that and our school system certainly is one venue that you can do that you can do it in the home uh, a lot of people if they have uh, you know the access to do it and the, the means to do it can can send those those uh, lunches with them to school but really schools uh, bear a, a big burden of that Edward I'm with you I mean we've lobbied a lot to uh, to uh, change the diets uh, uh, or the food choices at schools. There's a lot of complex issues with that, as you brought up. I mean, there is an industry side to this, and certainly there's a lot of uh, a pushback from some people to change that. Uh, a lot of people, once we went from, you know, what was provided to choice uh, in schools, uh, you know, if you've got a kid and they like pizza and pizza's there, and then you've got some fruits and vegetables that they can eat, and some lean meats, you know, they're probably going to choose the pizza. Um, so there's lots of you issues to, like that. Go ahead.
4: Have you ever been to, I've, I've been when I got down here and got married, uh, I went to a family reunion. Huh. And that was like, you know, nothing but grease and, and fat and sugar and, you know, it's, yep. it's, it's in the culture. You know, something's got to be done with the culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, Change it I mean, you can go on to, out to the mall and just sit there and watch people go by and you say man how how do these people carry all this weight around? Are you down on the coast?
3: I am I am said, yeah so so uh yeah it's um so it you're right, it is part of our culture and in a lot of you know about twenty years ago, I was in, involved in some studies that dealt with uh fifth graders in Mississippi schools at two different locations. And we dealt a lot with this with, you know, it changing what people eat is cultural. And particularly here in the South, not just in Mississippi, but in the South, our food is really tied to who we are and what we eat. Uh, I mean, who we are, uh, you know, as, as a people, uh, those things are really tied together. So when you talk, I, and this is something I took for granted because I would tell people, hey, you really need to change what you're eating, um, you know from from things that are that are have a lot of the higher calories in them like fats and processed things and sugar um however when you tell somebody that the way it is equated is hey that's part of us that's what we've done for generations i do point out you know a lot of times that although the food may have been the same portion sizes have gotten bigger all over i mean that not just in the south so and that's not just at restaurants that's at home too but the activity levels have dropped dramatically. You know, We don't walk as much as we used to do. We don't, uh, we're not outside doing things the way that we used to do. We sit a lot more in jobs. So all those things contribute to it. I mean, you can't point your finger at any one thing. And the thing that I found, too, is engaging people in communities is really important if you want to change what you're eating. You can make food that tastes really good. You can cook food that tastes really good but doesn't have a lot of those other things that are going to damage you over time. So, yeah, Edward, you, you bring up some great points. Um, there are things that we, in particular in the South, have to work on to try to change those. But really, it's all over now. I mean, it's, it's if you look at those CDC, uh, Center, for, Center for Disease Control maps of obesity, um, I mean, it is spread all over the place. Certainly in the South, we sort of lead the pack. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's all over. So thanks for bringing that up. And, uh, certainly something we all need to work on individually and, um, and, you know, Edward, Edward said too, we need to lobby different people, know who your congressmen are and the, and the ones that are controlling different things about, you know, that are related to some of these issues and say, Hey, I want to speak to you about this. It really does make a difference to them. If you talk to them about what changes their minds about things, um, and influences the way that they vote about it um, and the legislation that gets through. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, plenty of time to answer your questions about your health care or the health care of someone near and dear to you. You can call us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
3: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, remotely from the beach, but live taking your questions. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Hey, what about information hunger? You ever wondered like, why do people, why are we so obsessed now with information? Everybody wants to know something and it's that's some good research to look at. There's a group that looked at that and looked at human brains. There's new ways to look at the brain without having to be invasive about it. Like what is it doing when it's performing certain tasks? So there are some, some ways to do that through uh, a little bit different MRI methods uh, that uh, they looked at. But the, here's the question. So why are we so addicted to just knowing something more? You know, the Internet and certainly our phones and our mobile devices – they um, really cater to that. Um, and to the brain itself, information is its own reward. So you can, you can really sort of prime the pump there. So the, the study in a nutshell said, the way after they looked at the MRI, did sort of confirm that. So, uh, you know, people seek information not because necessarily it has value, But it can bring them benefits, uh, the same centers that that give us feedback in our brains and those pleasurable ideas to say, aha, that's great for me. Uh, It's the thrill of anticipation and knowing something that our brain really likes. But a lot of times it can be the most useless information. If you're like me, you can't remember somebody's name when you need to, but you can remember the most useless information or parts of a song that occurred 30 years ago and our brains really are like that sometimes. So you, it's almost like junk food overload, uh, depending on what you're, uh, what you're looking at. All right, Kevin, I think we have two callers, right?
2: That's right, uh, Dr. Jimmy. And we're going to start with uh, Samantha in Biloxi.
3: All right. Good morning, Samantha. Hi, how
5: are you
3: all doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Um, actually, I
5: just want to bring it back real quick I was talking about obesity and um, eating habits. Uh, I just wanted to comment two things. Number one, I think that the school modeling good eating habits is a great thing, but we have to be able to find a way where our children actually will eat what they put in front of them. It has to be taste. You know, there has to be some kind of flavor to it. The kids are not going to want to try something new, and then when they try it, it's gross. It doesn't taste good to them. It doesn't taste good in general. And so they're not going to be willing to try that again. Uh, I, I have teenagers now that, you know, went through the school systems and such, and they've they changed many things in the diet. And I've been to those school lunches, and they really are not appetizing at all. Um, any adult who's ever eaten it can definitely <laughs> tell you that. Uh, but it, the kids are willing to try new things, are uh, Our local elementary school had a garden program, and there were fresh vegetables. And I worked with the PTO and the teachers on that, and the kids were thrilled to try new things, whether it was broccoli flowers. It just has to be presented in a way that's going to intrigue them and it's going to taste
3: good. Now, did you – I know a lot of places have – integrated where the children are actually involved in that. In, in other words, they're involved in the production of food. You know, some schools have small food plots, and you may not can provide all the food that they would normally eat, but you can at least provide them, you know, some ways to supplement that. It makes it fun. They can integrate learning in their classrooms about it. Those have been successful programs where they've changed not only the behaviors, but they have the outcomes, uh, you know, of decreasing uh, BMI in those kids, particularly at risk kids. So I think you're right. I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can do this. You have to be creative about it. Most schools, as, as was pointed out earlier, they really don't have the resources, but an involved uh, advocacy group or parents, certainly that can be uh, a big uh, bonus to schools to try to shore that up. I think you're right. I mean, you can make it interesting and, and varied like that.
5: Uh, I'm actually not in Pellissippi, but Palusque is definitely the closest large city. I'm in the Kill, Killmas city, and our elementary school does have the, I mean, it's a small school, and uh, we do have the little garden plots, and our children are out there, and it does help us. They are able to incorporate that, not just in science, but in the library, in the math classes, they were able to incorporate those programs in reading classes. So it really is great. It does touch every part of their education. And our kids were out there, and they were learning to grow their own food. And they tried new things, and our, our kids would grow these new foods. And then at our spring festival or our fall festival they would make new dishes with them. And it was amazing. And our kids did learn. And the kids are willing to try new things. But it had to taste to it because kids, if they have one bad experience, Aren't going to go well. Maybe it was just cooked wrong.
3: They're going to go no, and it just broke. Right. No, I think you're exactly right. And, and, the, and you can ex- you can you can extend that to homes too. You know, it's not just the school systems, but when you you know a lot of parents, and uh, in, in, particularly in some obesity, childhood and adolescent obesity programs, they will actually uh, work with the families to try to figure out because how we eat is so complex. Uh, the differences be- between how people eat, why they eat. You really have to address those kinds of things and think about it to restructure that.
5: Exactly. And the, the programs that do the best with reducing obesity levels do address those problems. They address the cultural and the financial and the, just the knowledge. Like You don't know how to prepare this any other way, but it's been the way it's been prepared your entire life. And I think that's the right. point as far as obesity, levels go, that if you look at it, it's not by accident that the, the states with the highest poverty levels also have the highest obesity levels because an apple right. going to go bad within a week, and it's more expensive than that box of 30 chips that's going to last a little bit longer for that after-school snack, because the chips yep. aren't going to go bad, but that apple will, and people, especially people in the lower-income levels, they tend to buy groceries on a okay, well, this is the day that if you're getting food stamps or if you're budgeting, this is the day of the week where I go grocery shopping and it's got to last, month or it's got to last three right. or four weeks. Your crush week. does yep. going back. Yeah, really it's
3: and yeah, it's and and it's you know these food the food deserts you've probably heard about that. So you can you can look uh, you can overlay. Uh, the income of of people by zip code uh, of that population, and look at the number of fast food stores, which is higher in those populations, and then supermarkets or you know access to healthy foods is lowest. So there's certainly cultural and socioeconomic reasons why it's so hard to do that, but you can you can overcome that.
5: Well, thank you so much for your time. I just thought that was
3: important to point out. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, the, you can make a difference. I didn't. Yeah, certainly. You, th- there are some positive little pockets out there of people making a difference. So, thanks for sharing that with us and uh, bringing up that in the conversation. All right, Kevin, we got somebody else there.
2: Actually, still two calls to go. We uh, go next to Trish, who is in Ellisville.
3: All right. Good morning, Trish. Thanks for calling. Yes,
0: um, I was the last two callers I was going to refer to because I think when you get passion and desire involved in our lives, it changes what we want. And I have found that athletes will change their diet in any way to be able to succeed. And also yeah. that children so, want, go ahead.
3: I, I was going to comment. Sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's bad for athletes. That's I've, I've seen both of them.
4: That's
0: <laughs> true. But, Hopefully, we'll be in a good vein when we make a change.
4: Yeah. You, you had another
0: point? When, when attention deficit children realize that they can control themselves once they've had a certain amount of exercise, it can help them change their lives, too.
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, There was a school, I believe it was in Scotland. It was somewhere in England. I don't remember if it was uh, our Great Britain. I don't know if it was in England or Scotland. But basically, they had a a passionate um, principal of the school, a headmaster of the school. And she changed the physical requirements. And she said, you know what? We're going to rain or shine. Uh, This is what we're going to do this year. We're going to walk or run a mile. Uh, at some point in the school day, and everybody did it, and it's amazing, you know, not just the health increases in that school, but no they problem. also had, yeah, they had less days sick of the kids and the teachers, because they participated too, uh, they yeah. had less less discipline problems, they had, you know, their, their uh, grades are a little bit, you know, iffy on if they improve or not, but certainly huge benefits that you can you can have from proper exercise or injecting that into a program. You're right.
0: Right. But then again, when you really want to get people involved, I Historically, in this country anyway, if you get the church really involved, it can really make a bigger difference than
3: not. Oh, yeah, a that's a that's a huge motivator and engaging, you know, not just uh, the, the other thing that I've had to learn over the years. It's anywhere where you want to do something like that. You always want to engage with the people at the ground level, with the schools, right. with the churches, with right. other organizations in the area, just to say, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. Is this something you think that you would like? What do you think You know that you could contribute to this, that you can right. help us in the planning? That is incredibly important to make it successful.
0: Very important. I know I've lived my whole life. It started out rules and regulations the way I ate, but then it became an act of faith. How sure, I ate. yeah. And now I'm reaping the benefits of all that, and it's wonderful to be 73 years old and still be able to run and climb and lift and do the things that I want to do.
3: That's wonderful. That is awesome. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that with us this morning. Yes, thank you. All right. All right, Kevin, who we got next?
2: Uh, we have got uh, Dudley calling in from Calhoun
3: County. All right, good morning, Dudley. Thanks for calling this morning. Good morning,.
4: Doug. Excuse the phone on the, this ringing. it doesn't it's probably a politician. No, <laughs> Dr. Jimmy, I have this idea that if uh, we would spend more time and more money in our mental health, especially with younger people, that we would have a much, much better society in which to live. Would you comment on that, or
3: do you disagree? Sure. No, I, I I agree with that. That the, and there's there's plenty of science to back us up on this issue. So uh, you know, if you look at historically uh, the way that we've addressed mental illnesses is very late in the game, and it and pretty much mirrors everything that we've we've had to do in medicine because we didn't have a lot of uh, tools, medications things that we could prevent, you know, that we knew we could prevent certain things, behaviors that we could change. Mental health is no different. So of, of all of our mental health issues and people, we didn't have very good ways to screen those individuals so that we caught those things early and we didn't have as good uh, interventions that things that we could do that could have uh, maximum effect to help them through that mental illness or if it's something that they live for, with the, for the rest of their life, uh, something that they could, uh, you know, that could really... Uh, help them manage that. We do have those things now. So I agree totally. If, if we invested in that, uh, you look at the overlay of mental illness in all kinds of different areas uh, and individuals that develop that in their in childhood, adolescence, or young adulthood, um, the cost to society is much, much less if you go ahead and invest heavily in mental health than you wait for the, all those things downstream. So totally agree with that. Uh, and as I said, the science is there to support that. All right. Well, those are some great calls. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got time for uh, a couple of calls. I think we have one more caller on the line right now. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven 672 We'll be right back after this.
1: an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
3: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and I uh, got some great calls. Been talking about lots of different issues. Probably got some time to squeeze one or two more in. So don't feel like that you don't have time to call us. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Kevin, we got somebody on the line.
2: We do indeed. We're going to talk to Debbie from Wesson.
3: All right. Good morning, Debbie. Thanks for calling.
0: Dr. Jimmy, before this show is over, I want to thank you, because for who you are and what you do, you are absolutely dedicated and caring to be lying on the beach and on the phone helping others at the same time.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, Full disclosure, usually my beach habits involve getting out there early. Uh, See, I'm trying to set a good example here. Getting out there early. Uh, with my sunblock on, setting up the tents, I'm sort of the setup guy, uh, and then after that, um, coming in in the middle of the day. So I'm already in anyway. But uh, hey, I'm happy to do this. That's kind accolades. Uh, uh, I appreciate that. Certainly, this program means a lot to me and what we can offer to uh, to the state of Mississippi and surrounding areas. So thank you for that.
0: You're very welcome, and God bless.
3: Did you have a question or comment or? I made my comment oh thank you oh wow that's a great comment (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you uh kevin you got another question about uh the beach i hear
2: well yeah you you sort of alluded to it and i and i must say i give you credit uh the the tent putting up duty is probably one of the toughest thing because nobody wants to get out there and help you do that that's for sure
3: well no i actually we've got some friends of ours and there's about three of us that are early morning people well three or four that are early morning people anyway and So we're out there putting it all up together. It's sort of nice to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, in in a lot of places now, because of the there's new regulations about sea turtles coming up to the beach, so you have to take all – you can't just leave it out there. You have to go get it and haul it back and forth. So we have all kinds of mechanisms and wagons for doing that here.
2: (laughs) All right, so, you know, there's all kind of things to do on the beach. I like taking walks along the shoreline. Uh, What are some of the things that you and your family like to do during beach time?
3: So we have, I've actually built uh, two kayaks um, that are wood and fiberglass kayaks uh, from a company called Pygmy Boats. And um, they, they, I, we've really enjoyed those. My sons have enjoyed going out in those. We have liked paddleboard, lots of, th- you know, sort of active things at the beach, certainly uh, walking on the beach, uh, different activities. Actually, most of our crew right now are, are out parasailing. So uh, that's something I was sort of like, nope, you can do that. I've done it. Um, but you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do at the beach. Um, we've fished, uh, you know, from just for uh, small fish from the shore. Um, certainly, uh, you know, some excursions from time to time, rented, rented some boats, plenty of stuff to do on the Mississippi and, uh, Florida and Alabama Gulf coast. And, uh, certainly pretty, pretty accessible for most of the people Within this listening area. So that's some of the things I like to do. Uh, I'm looking at a volleyball net right now outside my my window. And we haven't we haven't uh, we brought a volleyball. So we haven't done that yet. But we'll probably get to that uh, pretty soon. Um, Later in the day, probably not uh, not in the middle of the day. Pretty hot down here right now. All right, this is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning. We've got time for maybe one or two more calls. Uh, you can uh, reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or you can always uh, email us. I know a lot of people aren't able to call in all the time. Uh, uh, if you've got something that sort of pops into your mind, it doesn't have to be an email. A lot of people have said, well, I, I just don't you just take emails while you're on the program? No, we take them all the time. We try to address each and every one of those uh, back uh, in a way that uh, the, the emailer can get that information, but also for everybody else, too. So we do sort of pack those together and share those from time to time. But you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Hey, what about gut bacteria? Gut bacteria, I mean, a lot of people, that's sort of gross to think about. But well, we do have all these uh, gut bacteria that are useful um uh, for the health of our in, of our not only as we get older, but also when we're younger, uh, lots of studies going on right now about food allergies and how you can sort of change the gut bacteria over time and what you're exposed to early on uh, to help influence and cut down on those food allergies. All right, we got uh, one caller on the line, Kevin.
2: That's right. our last call of the hour goes to Alice who's called in from Gulfport.
3: All right. Good morning, Alice. Down here in Gulfport, or close to me at least.
2: Yes.
0: Good morning. I have a question. I recently had a pretty serious abrasion all the way down my shin. It has healed wonderfully, but now I'm dealing with the scar. So,
3: okay. Is it? Was it pretty deep, or is it one of those that it was just sort of took off the first couple of layers of skin there?
0: It just took off the first couple of layers.
3: Yeah. It's, and it's all the way healed up now? Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, you can help soften that. People scar differently. Uh, scarring is the body's way, of course, of closing up that, that open wound, but it does it by laying down. There are cells called fibroblasts that lay down, uh, um, they lay down um, tissue in a plane that causes that scar to, to try to close that up. And in some people, that can be what we call hypertrophic scarring. So it can be elevated. It can be uh, not uh, smooth skin. Usually the skin is a different pigmentation anyway, uh, once it scars, either lighter or darker. And again, people are a little bit different in how they do that. There are some ways that you can help over time. Now you can put something that helps soften that skin up over time, even if this happened weeks or months ago. Um, And things like uh, Vaseline uh, or anything that's sort of going to soften that up a long time ago, people used to put like vitamin E oil on there or all kinds of crazy stuff. It really doesn't matter as long as you're, you, you keep it from losing that moisture content is the biggest key. There are If it's a, you know, a bad scar that looks bad further on, dermatologists can do all kinds of different things to sort of smooth that out. But the biggest thing is putting something on it so that it doesn't dry out completely. Uh, that's important for most all cuts that you, you know you need to keep them covered until they heal over but that skin uh, that's growing back in they really need that moisture content to to heal up properly you're going to get a better outcome uh that looks a whole lot better if you do that all right um yeah that's going to be a problem at the beach too so that's a that's a big deal lots of good calls this morning hey thanks for joining us this morning it's been nice to uh to look out at the beach, not that I don't enjoy looking at Kevin through the booth, but this is sort of nice, too. I want to thank everybody for calling in this morning. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is supported in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and from generous donations from people just like you. Thank you for. Ke- uh, thanks to Kevin for coordinating everything, a little special, a little different this morning. And you can reach us next Wednesday at 11 right here on MPB Think Radio for Southern Remedy.